Hey there, listeners. Before we get started with the show today, I would just like to remind you that Dustin Timbrook and Luke Jacobson are registered representatives offering securities through First Allied Securities, a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through First Allied Advisory Services and Presidio Capital Management Registered Investment Advisors. First Allied entities are under separate ownership from any other named entity. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Presidio Capital Management unless a client service agreement is in place. Now, please enjoy this episode. Happy to have you here on the Presidio Perspective. Uh, my name is Dustin Tembrook. And I'm Luke Jacobson. Good to be here. Good to be with you, Luke, as always. Uh, another day, another another Presidio Perspective, another week with, with yeah. a lot to talk about. Yeah, right. Not every two weeks, every two days is when I think we need to keep the tempo for this uh, this show to cover all the things that are happening. So let's see, anything happened big this week? Um, not, not that I can remember. Yeah, nothing. All happening. Um, so, but, but, but maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot going on. Uh, so as always, we want to talk about the pressing news of the day and how it's going to impact your portfolio and what you need to pay attention to and give you our perspective on what's happening there in the news. So, you know, give you a little rundown of some of the things we want to talk about. We want to talk about the new president, uh, Joe Biden, and we had a successful transition from the old president to the new. We have, uh, you know, a new cabinet, some new key political figures that we're going to key in on, uh, one Janet Yellen in particular that we want to talk about. Uh, we also want to talk about the new Biden presidency and what that means to the change in diplomacy, international relations, and what that can mean to foreign mar markets and U.S. companies. Uh, and also continue this discussion about new market leadership, right? So looking at different areas of the stock market or in the in whole investing world out there, and not just looking at what worked last year, but what might be working for us in the future. And, and what are some things and themes that we see playing out that we want to be paying attention to. So before I get into all of that, I think I just need to clear the air because there's something on everybody's mind here that we really need to discuss. And we were all waiting, right, with bated breath, you know, what was Trump going to do in his final hours as the president? And would he pardon the Tiger King? And no, he didn't. He did not pardon Joe Exotic and the Tiger King. And I think that might have been the biggest news of the day. Was there news on uh, Carol Baskin at all? Yeah. Did they, did they mention, is, is Carol involved in this? I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure there's the conspiracy theories out there, but hopefully you went long Carol Baskin and you shorted the Joe Exotic stock because he is staying in jail. I saw a uh, report that he had a limousine waiting for him outside of his prison, that he was so confident. His old team, legal team had a limo waiting to take him away from prison. So, Could, could you imagine what that limo would actually look like? <laughs> Yeah, they had a picture of it. it. looked like a nice limo. Uh, it was pretty standard, actually. It might be the only standard thing in that guy's life. And uh, for however standard a limousine waiting outside of a prison is. But uh, yeah, yeah, that takes you back to some early days of COVID, doesn't it? The uh, Joe Exotic and Tiger King. So. There's, there's a lot that I'm really happy about with 2020 being behind us. Um, but I'm happy that, that was, Tiger King was part of my that, life. That was a bright spot. Yeah. <laughs> I think it came to us at just the right time. Yeah. So, and perhaps this is the last time we'll ever mention it again. So okay. moving on. Let's make that, let's yes, make that a record. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so get some levity out there, but we do have a new president. We had a successful and peaceful change of power. Uh, that was going to be the odds on favorite of what was to occur. But I think there's still some unrest that was out there in the market where we can now take a sigh of relief where that has occurred. Absolutely. And I think 
Also, a, a, a big message that happened yesterday was the term act big. And Sarah, if you want to put, if you can, can you put act big on the screen for our viewers to see? So yesterday was a big day for Janet Yellen and the Biden campaign. Janet Yellen uh, being the new Treasury Secretary and a large proponent of modern monetary theory. And really, what we're looking here on the screen is, is a massive move downward in U.S. 10-year rates or just the borrowing rates of the United States government. Um, the red line is a recent massive spike in, in debt outstanding for our Treasury. But on the very bottom, and it's very difficult to see because it's such a benign line, is our actual interest payments relative to GDP. And as you can see, they haven't changed. So wh why do I bring this up? I bring this up because the, the common debate is, should we bring on more debt? Do interest rates matter? And right now, uh, with the commentary of act big, Janet Yellen is suggesting we should act big and strong, and we should be um, participating in modern, modern monetary theory. And effectively, she's going with the proponent that as long as GDP growth rates are higher than interest rates, we should be using debt to fuel economic growth. Yeah, I have a, uh, a quote here from Yellen. It says, neither the president-elect nor I propose this relief package, talking about the $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package, right? That's kind of the first act of the act big, right? Uh, so sorry. So neither the president-elect nor I propose this relief package without an appreciation for the country's debt burden. But right now, with interest rates at historic lows, the smartest thing we can do is act big. So that's where this whole act big kind of statement comes from, right? Right, and it's act big, and, and, and I guess I would follow it up. She says act big right now, as in we cannot wait. The largest risk that she sees to the current recovery is acting too small right now. And so she's, I'd say, very big. And if you look back to austerity plans that were in Greece or in Spain in 2008, um, there was you know, Angela Merkel at the time was saying we need to you need to pay back your debts. You need to have low government spending. And we've seen in practice that that did not work for those particular countries. Yeah. So I think this is a positive sign for the market. Certainly the markets like that monetary stimulus and fiscal policy. And so they, they enjoy seeing this, especially since that money is going directly to U.S. households and is being injected into the economy. So that's yeah. going to be very good for the price of things, right? Which also relates to inflation, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Right. And animal spirits, right? I mean, if you go back to Econ 101, that drives animal spirits and drives demand as people see economic momentum. Sarah, if you could put up the GDP debt page. So just to briefly touch on why Janet Yellen is as bullish as she is about modern monetary theory is that as our debt as a share of GDP is expected to skyrocket, the federal interest as a percent of GDP is actually relatively flat. And that's because, as we've all experienced, interest rates are at rock bottom levels. Mm -hmm. right? And even yesterday, I heard a Biden campaign start to float the concept of a 50-year Treasury bond. So that's, that's actually a great idea. If you can lock in rates for 50 years and then effectively pay that back at super low rates and possibly inflate your way out of it, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, and that's not the first time that that's been proposed, and and so you know as that becomes a reality, we have to wonder how far out of reality we are going. Mm -hmm. um, so again, in the short term, though, this is positive things for our portfolios, and for the long term, there's something that we have to watch and, and continuously watch, and that is this debt burden and interest rates, and um, and so I think. I think you know what Janet is saying, and what we would agree with is if you're you're not going to get it just right, right? With monetary policy, fiscal policy, you're not you you know you're not going to land 100% on the mark. And so if you're going to err, err on the side of of too much money, 
dealing with inflation is much more preferred from um, from a monetary standpoint than dealing with deflation. That's right. They say that monetary policy is not a scalpel. It's more like a hammer. Yeah. And in this case, she's using a go big hammer. And that's a lot why we're seeing real excitement for people wanting to get in the front of that train and yeah. get into the market. Yeah. So um, again, you're seeing the markets react favorably. This is some of the reasons why. And so Janet Yellen being in her position with her stated attitude on things and taking in um, very immediate action, acting big with this uh, almost $2 trillion stimulus bill. Um, and and for likely, we can be sure there's more to come. So again, we, we don't want to be having too many things that aren't going to be participating in inflationary forces, right? If we have a lot of a lot more money and monetary supply in the economy, that usually means the price of things goes up, which means inflation. So if we're sitting on cash, if we're sitting on fixed income, if we're sitting on you know fixed assets, we're not going to benefit uh, from that, uh, that, that upward momentum move. So again, we want to look at our portfolios and make sure that we're allocated uh, as such. Right. And I, and I see you have year-to-date performance here for mm -hmm. a lot of the different constituents of the market. And to, to specifically highlight your point about fixed income versus equities, what's the performance of the general bond index? So we could probably date? pull it up since nobody can see my all my notes down here. Sierra, I think I, yeah, there you go. So what we see is, yeah, there's, there's basically, there's only uh, a few things that are down, right? And it's usually what everybody loves when things are scary, right? Gold and U.S. Treasuries, right? So we've seen the the the, the gold is down. The Barclays Aggregate Bond Index is down about a half a percent, mm -hmm. right? And then we also see market volatility, right? It's kind of a measure of risk in the current stock market, right? Is also down 5%. So again, these are all things that we would have anticipated looking at a peaceful transition of power, mm -hmm. right? You can take away some market risk. You see market volatility drop. More confidence goes into equity markets. Uh, so, so where does that money come from, right? And so less of those safe havens like gold and aggregate bonds, um, you know, that you'd see in a portfolio in times of high volatility. And then I think the really interesting thing is, you know, what is the leadership, right? It, it's not the NASDAQ, right? It's not the S&P 500. We're seeing it's oil, it's emerging markets, uh, and it's small cap, which is continuing its run since, what, November, really, where it's started to break out its market leadership. Um, again, something that you would see in a growing healthy economy, mm -hmm. right, where you see oil coming back uh, and you see small caps performing, and emerging markets is is just likely also because of the global economy, but very much because of inflation and the, the devaluation of the U.S. dollar. Right. And that's it. So devaluation of the U.S. dollar is really the foundation that's creating so many of these moves. And as U.S. is not so much of a safe haven right now as it may have been for the past three years, the demand for the U.S. dollar is lower, and therefore we're having sort of a bear market for the dollar, and that drives dollar-denominated products such as oil higher. Um, it also uh, creates uh, more value for dollar-denominated um, assets such as uh, when we exchange our dollar and buy international equities. So right. that's why you're seeing that big move as well. Yeah. So if you have a lot of dollars, you got your mattress full, your safe full, your money market full of dollars, right? Those are showing a weakening. 
And that creates opportunity in other places where we want to empty out that mattress and potentially reallocate capital in a diversified way across other allocations, not in US dollars that could benefit as that dollar weakens. That means good things for other places like emerging markets. Right. And I don't think you can really understate that concept. Um, European markets have had negative real interest rates and have pressed their monetary theory to the brink of of what people are really calling, I think Goodlock just had a whole presentation called it Aqua Lung, but effectively saying negative real rates are not working international. And so you've had a huge move of tons of international capital into the U.S. markets that have really driven up our dollar, which has cre you know, created value for our spending power, but also kept our rates really low. And we're starting to see changes in that in the globe. Right. And that's really starting to show up year to date in just the first half of this month in emerging markets and in European markets. Yeah. And that's a that's a significant change. I, I think we really want to underscore that. Yeah. And emerging markets, I mean, it's, it's it, it, yeah, you can say emerging markets, but for a large part, from what I can tell, it's China. It is China. So if you think about it, um, in our first perspective, we talked about China having control of the coronavirus. So China has powers that we here in the United States do not. They can tell their citizens what to do. And their citizens are, are on board with that. So they have had the ability. On board or not, they <laughs> they have the tools to implement change That's quickly, fair. right? I probably shouldn't speak. Yeah. I'm not going to speak for the Chinese citizens anymore. Yeah. Um, however, they have seen growth rates in GDP that far surpass any other nation in the globe. And they've also initiated a recent new five-year plan that is really heavily focused on technology within their country and also starting to open up the economy. And so we're really starting to see emergence of quite substantial growth from the Chinese economy, one of the second the second largest economy in the world. And with that becomes lots of fixed asset investment. And so they've really come in in Q4 and bought surpluses in corn and soybeans and steel across all the United States um, inventories. And we've seen massive moves in those commodity prices in the last quarter. Yeah. And, and why would you theorize that they did that? Well, they're looking ahead. They're looking ahead for growth. They have 2 billion people they need to take care of. And that's not just simply feeding them, mm -hmm. which is a huge risk for them. But they also need to think about how to house them as they move from a old type of economy where a lot of their citizens are in rural areas moving into more of a new age. Right. And that, that momentum could be unbelievable for Chinese economy. We've been seeing it for the better part of 20 years. But this new five-year plan is radically different than the last plan. And so I think that's also worth paying attention to. And I think you've also seen the United States make moves um, to start to, to distance ourselves technology-wise so that their technology doesn't creep into our world. One of those being TikTok. There is quite a funny joke about TikTok you mentioned yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's well, worth talking Trump about was, now. <laughs> you know, Trump was making a big effort to ban TikTok. And I think many found it humorous that TikTok actually had a chance to ban Trump before he got to ban TikTok. Um, the irony. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. There's plenty of irony <laughs> in there. So along with uh, the other big tech social media platforms uh, towards the end of his presidency when he got you know, booted from all of their platforms. And so uh, it was somewhat amusing that TikTok was able to do that um, where there was so much fear where they were jumping through all these hoops to, to sell their U.S. company. Um, but yeah, a lot's changed since then. But, so, um, but yeah, the, this change in the Biden presidency's diplomacy tactics, I mean, it's it, the word is still tough on China, but let's come to the table and talk and not have this America first approach. Um, both, both the Chinese Communist Party and the uh, Biden administration have come out and, and talked about this. 
Um, and so, so far, the markets like this, I think it's better for U.S. companies, it seems, in the short term. I keep saying the short term with these things because that's all we can see, right? I mean, that's where the mm -hmm. math is kind of spelled out, right? Mm -hmm. So taking on more debt, you know, mm -hmm. what is the, is there problems in the long term? Sure. Mm -hmm. um, is the stimulus good in the short term? Yes. Freeing up the tariffs, you know, that's going to take a tax, an expense or whatever, that's going to free up corporate profits. And if that would translate at any multiple to a growth in the share price that's good in the short term. Now, does that end up, you know, um, giving away technology and intellectual property down the road? That's the debate. But um, well, but I, in the short term, it seems like the new take on diplomacy, the markets are favoring it. I mean, you're right. I don't have a crystal ball about how short term turns into long term. But I will say, just listening to your conversation about changes from with the new, not changes essentially, what you mentioned, but the Biden campaign and how they're working with other constituents. Let's just think about the change that happened from Trump to Biden. So the Biden campaign, their policies may not be substantially different than Trump's, but the saber rattling and the news headlines that come out of the Biden campaign are actually very, um, they're, they're not saber rattling. And really what that does is it takes the market's telescope into future earnings or expectations. And it takes it from say 15 days or 30 days or 90 with Trump, where there was a lot of nerves about What's going to happen next? What Twitter feed is going to blow up my investment thesis? Or if I'm a CEO, how, how am I going to spend on an NPV project and have Trump decide that I shouldn't do that anymore? And now with the Biden presidency, you're starting to have more, more ability to look deeper into the future and have confidence. And the markets like that. They like to have confidence. Yeah. And CEOs and CFOs like that, right, where they can have confidence in their global supply chain and know that, you know, a tweet isn't going to mess things up. And so that they're able to make, you know, capital expenditures for growth and, and continue. So I think that that was a big, you know, headline risk that it's now perhaps behind us and, mm -hmm. and out of the markets or at least perceived to be out of the markets for now. Sure. And I mean, at, at a minimum, there's just more of a gentleman in focus, and, and I think markets like that. It's just um, with all the things that's happening with China, just having a, a conciliatory presidency is, is a, it's a great bonus for our capital markets. So we have um, so potentially a, continue, a, a, a more dovish, dovish policy, right, from, our, uh, from, from Yellen. Let, act big dovish. Yes. Not even more. Act big. Yeah. Like, like substantial Dovish. Right. Um, and, and from the Biden presidency um, or, or cabinet at large. Right. So a lot of the things that he's talking about is uh, loan forgiveness on student loans. Right. So this is one of the big things in his campaign and, and some of the things that are rumored to be part of his executive orders. But nearly 45 million Americans based on um, the Biden administration are said to total one point five trillion dollars in loans. So 45 million Americans have student loan debt, first of all. Um, I was kind of surprised to see that number. I knew it was a big number, but that that seemed like a, a large segment of the adult population yeah. that still carries a student loan debt. So 45 million Americans, mm -hmm. that totals one and a half trillion dollars, right? And this is caused, uh, according to Brookings research. Mm -hmm. uh, so during the campaign, Biden had outlined several promises to reduce this debt, including immediate $10,000 forgiveness on federal loans, chance to attend public college tuition free if your family income is less than 125,000 and reduce the requirements for public service loan forgiveness. 
Um, and then big news was for those with student loans, uh, it's expected that the uh, Biden executive order will extend the CARES relief by continuing to automatically suspend monthly payments and reduce the interest rates to 0% through September. Mm -hmm. So that move also, you know, if you think of no payments, no interest on one and a half trillion dollars um, from now until September in the economy, that's more free cash flow that's going into the economy. Well, and let's think about where that free cash flow goes. It's probably not going that 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 amount, which we pay over an amortization schedule of, say, 30 years. It's probably not going into a new house. It's probably not going into a seven year car loan, but it's definitely going into cheeseburgers, your gas tank, just everything that you buy on an everyday basis. And when we start having stimulus that affects a large swath of the population, instead of just bailing out banks, what do we see from that? History says we see inflation. That's kind of what we want to see now. That's kind of we're going back to a lot of policies that worked very well in the 60s, mm -hmm. where we had a lot of civil unrest and we had policies to create better outcomes for those individuals. And we're starting to do the same thing. And I think there's a really good argument that policies today will be way more inflationary than just traditional QE in the past. How much of those monthly checks do you think are going to Bitcoin? <laughs> like at this rate, like at least 50. Although, you know, we also had a huge change uh, with um, Yellen saying that Bitcoin was maybe not one of her favorite asset classes. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, can you imagine like, two weeks ago to today? I mean, you've had, it's in bear market territory, mm -hmm. right? I think we have to create new markets for cryptocurrencies, I guess, just on and off. Yeah, right? well, we got to do a show every 30 <laughs> seconds to give you the update on what's going on there. So This is true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, more news from last week, uh, you know, on interest rates, the 30-year fixed home loan rose to 2.92%. Can you believe it's that high? <laughs> oh my gosh. Can you imagine people having to pay 2.9% on their 30-year mortgages, Luke? How uh, are they going to do it? What was the rate on your first mortgage? Oh, geez. I, I don't know, but I would, I, I wasn't that long ago, but I would assume it's five. It started with a five. Mine was six and seven eighths and it was yeah. interest only. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. what I, 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 six and seven eighths. And I remember thinking I have to get an interest only loan for 10 years because I'm, the rates are going right back up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was dead, dead wrong about that. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I, you weren't alone. <laughs> you weren't alone. Absolutely. So, um, you know, opportunities for us to look at today and then look, have a little bit of a window into the future. Again, this theme that continues to play out, you know, more monetary uh, stimulus going out there into our economy. So this should create inflationary cycles. What follows that likely at some point is a rise in interest rates. So again, we want to keep talking about this theme. It continues to play out just kind of as we've talked about it, you know, after the first six weeks or so of, of doing this episode. So the numbers are still here and kind of showcasing that. Um, you know, we're still dealing with the coronavirus. And so I'm sure that many of our future episodes are going to be tracking the vaccine. Um, many of you probably have known somebody, maybe some of you have even gotten the vaccine or at least the first uh, stage, right? There's three kind of stages to getting that vaccine. Um, I know a number of people have started to receive that already. So we'll be tracking that. I think the markets are going to have some short-term reactions to that favorably or negatively, depending on whatever hiccups we might see there. Um, but yeah, and so uh, so I think we look forward to 2021 with some potentially brighter news ahead. Uh, as those good headlines could potentially come in, those could be more good news for the markets. So it's not without caution, 
right? We want to look at our portfolios, make sure that we can stay long-term. There's lots of things out there where valuations are high. Market sentiment is at an all-time high. People have allocated, you know, heavy portions of their portfolio to heavy tech stocks and growth stocks that have performed very well, um, or even cryptocurrencies and things like that that have performed well in the short term and need to make sure they have an asset allocation plan that's going to weather the storm, right? Because there's going to be plenty of volatility ahead as well. So right. I want to make sure it works for the long term. Yeah, I'd say this is the time where you, you need to pay attention to one of the quietest voices in the room. You've been paid for the better part of three years to just pay attention to the the majority and, and be right at the middle of the bell curve. But right now, there are quiet voices talking about all sorts of different changes, changes in leaderships. We've actually been one of those voices right now, speaking of making changes in leadership. And this is the this is the challenging part of the market. This is the value of, of working with professionals um, who can actually challenge themselves to, to make those tough decisions. Yeah, and stay informed. So I'll segue in nicely. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel here so you can stay informed on future Presidio Perspective podcast episodes that you can catch live. You can also, if you subscribe to our channel, catch all the replays and be notified when those are available and other market commentary and outlook and segments from Luke and myself and other members of Presidio. So Luke, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Two weeks. What 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 what's your prediction? What two is weeks, going huh? to happen? There's no chance you're gonna get me to say that. But I hope I predict that everybody who's tuning in today will be back next uh, week or in, in two weeks' time. And I, I predict that some of them will even tell a friend to join them. So thank you very much. Right. Again, this is Dustin, president of Presidio Capital Management, Luke Wait. Jacobson over here. It's always nice being with you, man. You got it. All right. The standard Enforce 500 is an unmanaged group of securities considered to be representative of the stock market in general. The MSCF index was created by Morgan Stanley Capital International that serves as a benchmark of the performance in major international equity markets as represented by 21 major MSCI indexes from Europe, Australia, and Southeast Asia. The Barclays U.S. Aggregate Bond Index is an unmanaged benchmark index composed of the U.S. securities and treasury, government-related, corporate, and securitized sector. It includes securities that are of investment-grade quality or better, have at least one year to maturity, and have an outstanding pair value of at least $250 million.